Coming in dry just like we did last Monday on our first show. So maybe this is a thing for Mondays. We start Smith and Jones without any music. We don't need any music because you know what? I will sing and I will dance for no, you following. No, no. Yeah, yeah, Jonesy. I got to say it. I know we dig into basketball off the top, but how about those? Oh, I, we're not talking football really, until the second. Really? Victory yesterday. And I won't even mention a certain team from a certain state that has only four letters. And a team that has the paper bags ready. We'll get into that in the second hour of the show. But off the top, uh, a frustrating weekend on the basketball side of things, especially if you're a Toronto Raptor fan. Uh, Saturday night, man, I, I'll tell you, we can dig deeper into the bigger uh, issue or the bigger topic, um, the home record and the lack of success at home. But Saturday, specifically for the Raptors, it looked pretty good until sort of uh, mid-fourth quarters, Jonesy. Pretty good in the sense they had the lead. Not pretty good in the sense that they were allowing the Pistons, the worst team in the league offensively, to shoot 50, 52, 54-plus percent, torching them from the perimeter, torching them all over the floor. But somehow, some way, the Raptors still had the lead, and they're going to take care of business. And then the last five, six minutes of the game, Detroit puts the foot down. Cade Cunningham, who had had a terrible night to that point, by my accounts, turned into the number one overall picks rising star that he is and had some monster plays down the stretch. And the Pistons and Dwayne Casey get their fourth straight win over the Raptors, drop Toronto to 500 as they hit the road for six and drop the team again to two and six at home. It's a killer. It's a killer if you're a Raptor fan. And Eric, you know, you said it. Some of the numbers, the Detroit Pistons average, they're last in the NBA in scoring, averaging about 95 points a game. They're not even getting to a dollar. And they had a season-high uh, 127. And it's something about these guys, and I think uh, Isaiah Stewart said it after the game, something about these guys and how hard they play for Dwayne Casey <laughs> against his old team. You know, Detroit was at the bottom. They got the number one pick last year, but they swept the season series from Toronto. So as you said, it's four straight. And you, you point to the defense. Um, you know, the fact that Detroit shoots, you know, 50, over 50%, 54% or whatever it was. I, I don't even remember what the number was, but it was ridiculous all night. And just when Toronto had the big run, they got up nine and Dwayne Casey called a timeout. It's as if that was the, the wake-up call, the smelling salts for the Pistons. They had, you know, they were Toronto-led at the end of the uh, at at the end of the fourth quarter, but Detroit, I, I think the run was twenty one eight, and by the halfway by the halfway mark, halfway through the fourth quarter, Toronto's down one fourteen one hundred three, and we're all looking at each other like, "What's going on here? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what's what's happening here?" And look, take nothing away from the Pistons. Give them credit; they played very hard. They played very well. They were together, and Kate Cunningham, as you said. He showed me a couple of big-time moves when it counted in, in money time. Well, he was 2 of 8 in the game. All, all 8 of his shots from the perimeter. He didn't come inside. He didn't come inside 23 feet until that last 2-3 minutes of the game. 
and he had two big-time buckets. And the one, I know we talked about on our, our little uh, recap that we do. And if you're not following along, folks, at Paul double underscore Jones, at Eric double underscore Smith on Twitter. My handle is the exact same on Instagram, and you just flip Jonesies. It's Jones double underscore Paul on Instagram. But we do these recaps after almost every single game. They've been getting a lot of traction, and it's one of the things that we broke down, Jonesies, the fact that Cade Cunningham, those two buckets he had late, but the one especially where, and we don't say this often, he just went at and bullied OG Ananobi. Uh, he got him He got him to a spot where um, it, it wasn't even so much physical. He kind of... He kind of worked him inside, like kind of slow, slow dribbled him inside. But the finish, it was yeah. the, for me. It was the that's finish. true. The that's lefty, true. Ba- yep. The lefty baby hook off glass, and then I mean that one. That one had my oh okay, all right, Cade Cunningham. Maybe this is why you're number one. And then he comes back with another one, and uh, he he was terrific. Uh, he made he made he made two really important plays when they needed it. Well, we'll talk uh, a little bit more about him maybe later on in uh, 10 minutes or so. We're going to be joined by Bobby Marks from uh, ESPN Front Office Insider, and we've had him on the show a bunch of times. And we'll dig into maybe uh, some of the top picks in in this past year's draft and how they're starting the first month or so of the season and lots to bounce around uh, the league with when we chat with Bobby Marks. Uh, Before we move on to more Raptor stuff, and again, tonight the Raptors in Portland getting set uh, for the Blazers, the first of six on the road for the Raptors. They're away from home for the next uh, 13, 14 days, so a very long trip for the team. Um, the the Blazers, Jonesy, are going to be coming in on the second half of the back-to-back. So this is hopefully, fingers crossed, yes, it's the first game of the road trip. The Raptors only landed in Portland yesterday after a five-hour flight, etc. So are they acclimated to the time zone, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? But that Denver trip, folks, and we've talked about this a bunch of times in the past, but for those that have never heard the story, if you're hearing it for the first time, we can tell you firsthand the trip, if you've never been to Denver, the trip from the Denver airport to the downtown core is at least 45 minutes, if not an hour. And we can tell you flat out that after a game especially a game in which you were whipped, which the Blazers were last night, losing by 29 to the Nuggets. That trip to the airport that's an hour feels like about four hours. And I don't care if you're flying from Denver to Portland or Denver back to L.A., Toronto, wherever. It makes the trip even longer. So Portland coming off that loss and dealing with that bus ride and then the late-night flight home and everything else, this, to me, Jonesy, is an opportunity for Toronto tonight to try and jump on the Blazers and start this road trip on a high note. And again, last night, there was no Damien Lillard in the lineup. I'm assuming that's the case tonight. We shall see. But this is one where Toronto, I think, has got to try and jump on Portland early. Well, you want to start your road trip the right way, as you said. You, you, you really do. And the Denver airport is actually in Cheyenne, Wyoming, isn't it? Like that. <laughs> yeah, here's so. here's a little context. Here's a little context for the people that uh that uh that have been following us for a while. We've been doing the broadcast together for a long long time. The night that Kobe Bryant scored 81, folks, Eric and I called that game. There was a little Fufara and hubbub around, oh, 81 points, second highest scoring game ever in the history of the NBA. On a Sunday night uh, in January, 
in L.A. So you fly from – and we didn't get out of there right away because everybody was kind of milling around and, you know, like I said, all of the chaos around the 81-point game. Mm-hmm. We flew, folks, from Los Angeles to Denver. I don't know what the flight time was, but all I know is it was like daylight savings time. We lost an hour on the time zone with the hour-plus drive from – Laramie, Wyoming. Oh, sorry. Uh, the Denver airport to uh, the hotel downtown. By the time we got our bags and got up to the hotel uh, into our rooms, I was able to go live on the morning show mm-hmm. at the fan. Mm-hmm. I, I was able to go live on the morning show. Like it was, I think we got to our rooms at like 4.15 and, you know, the the, the time changed like the guys were like, hey, do you want to come live with us? Yeah, in a little while. I'm like, yeah, sure. What the heck? I'm up. The Jonesy, like, you're up early. No, I haven't gone to bed yet. And then that night, the Raptors played the Nuggets and lost again. I mean, Denver has a ridiculous record, uh, you know, when you when you think about it. So I heard a few years ago they'd lost one game in five years on the second night of back-to-backs with teams coming from the <laughs> West Coast. So you want to start the road. My point is it's it, when you're out there, the time zones can mess with you. Uh, the travel can because you're usually out there as an East Coast team, an Eastern Conference team for a while. So hopefully you get acclimated. But it would be a good one, Eric, to really kind of get rid of the taste of, you know, last game, the way you left your own building and get one on the road. And let's face it, the Blazers aren't playing that well right now. They're adjusting to a new system. There's all the questions around Damian Lillard. It's a great time for Toronto to try and jump on them. Yeah, a, a very important game for the Raptors uh, starting off this six-game road trip, which, again, we've we've noted a number of times. Uh, and if you haven't looked at the schedule, folks, it starts west, then it goes, I, I don't know, what do, what, what do we want to call it, Midwest, at least central to Memphis before then hitting Indiana, before finally coming back home, as I said, 13 days from now. You're not going to see the Raptors on their home floor uh, until the 28th of November, two games to close out uh, the month. And we're only a couple of weeks away from flipping that calendar to December. This year, I'll tell you what, has been flying by and a very quick start to the season, to the NBA season overall. Of note last night in the NBA as well, not just that blowout of the Nuggets over the Blazers. There are a couple of blowouts with Brooklyn, you know, hammering OKC. No major surprise there. Atlanta getting back on track, and they beat Milwaukee by 20. So the Hawks have had a very rough start to the season. But that said, Milwaukee not looking so good either. The Bucks uh, currently sitting at six and eight with the victory. The Hawks now five and nine, and this is going to be something to dig into with Bobby Marks in a couple minutes as well, Jonesy. I look down at even below the eighth seed, Toronto in nine, and again we're only fourteen, thirteen games in for most teams, but Toronto in nine, Boston in ten, Milwaukee in eleven, Indiana in twelve, Atlanta in thirteen. I would argue. You could easily make a case for all five of those teams being playoff teams, and there might be some that go, well, the only one that was maybe kind of on the bubble on the periphery was Toronto. I would dare to guess nearly everybody had Boston, Milwaukee, Atlanta, and Indiana in playoff spots. So it is going to be extremely interesting to see how the Eastern Conference plays out this year, Jonesy, and if anybody from the top, six top eight right now has a nosedive at some point because if they don't dip 
it is going to be a dogfight to get a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. Very competitive, E. You're, you're so correct with that. Very competitive. And, and that's why, again, a, a trip like this out west for the Raptors, it, it's, kind of, it, it's kind of like as competitive as it is within your own conference. Oh, yeah, you take a run around the block and see if you can get by those other guys that are trying to beat you up and then come back here and keep playing. So everybody has their their time out west, and they, you know they're going to go out there and play some of these teams and see how they fare, and that that could be the difference. I mean, look at Toronto last year; everything kind of moving along well. Then they COVID hit them. Uh, they hit a month where they win one game, and that's it. And 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 you've got the number four pick. <laughs> like that's that's how quickly it happens. And I just look at how competitive the East is, and there's some surprises, like you said. I, I don't think people saw Toronto uh, being as good as they are. Nobody saw Cleveland at, at nine and five right now. Um, you know, I, I hate to say this, but it seems like there's 13 teams for 10 spots. Yeah. And then, and then Detroit. Oh, by the way, they just beat Toronto. So you know, as much as you look at Detroit and Orlando at the bottom and say, "Well, I don't have to worry about them," they're going to sneak up and bite people too. And and I'm wondering. You know, we'll ask Bobby about this. I'm wondering about the Bucks. There's not a referendum out on the Bucks. They are still a championship team, but a mm-hmm. little bit of a slow start. Target on their back, the trophy tour. Atlanta, too, a young team, had success. And, you know, I think Atlanta realizing you got to go back down to the bottom of the mountain. You got to climb again from the top. You can't, you can't just stay up there to start the next season. And then look at Indiana, Eric. Were they one and six or one and seven at some point, something like that? Uh, I believe it was yeah, something like that. It was like I thought it was two and seven, but yeah, right around there, Jonesy, right around there. Anyway, they, they're, they're just they're trying to turn it around, no, no doubt. Yeah, they're adjusting to Rick Carlisle. They have they have an all star in Sabonis. You know, they get Brogdon back. Yep, they're six and eight now. You know, uh, they, you know they've won, they've won a couple in a row. Um, it, it's going to be very competitive in the East, really competitive. You know, we could say something similar, I suppose, about the Western Conference, but that said, uh, even the Memphis Grizzlies in the eighth seed are below 500, whereas when you look in the uh, Eastern Conference, uh, you know, the Raptors as the nine seed are at 500. At least the Hornets have got their head above 500 with the eight and seven record currently as the eighth seed. And why do I bring up the Hornets? Well, they got the win last night over the Golden State Warriors as Golden State heads east, and they've been running rough shot through the league, and suddenly, boom, they get surprised by the Hornets. So now Golden State drops just their second game of the season, but three Hornets last night go for 20-plus and Bridges, uh, Rozier, and Ball. As uh, Ball had a fine performance, 20 point, 21 points, excuse me, seven rebounds and five assists, so certainly uh, a big night for the Hornets. And, um, you know, Steph Curry was was maybe kind of sort of average last night for Steph Curry by his standards, 24 points, but only three of 13 from distance. Canadian Andrew Wiggins had 28 in the loss uh, for Golden State, and uh, the Raptors will see the Warriors uh, before Christmas, uh, at least the one time, and then um, you know we'll we'll see how things play out with the uh, with the Golden State Warriors moving forward. Um, but again, the Eastern Conference right now has been an absolute dogfight, even more so than the West, and that's maybe where we want to start as we bring into the conversation right now. We always appreciate his time from ESPN front office insider Bobby Marks. Bobby, thanks for the time today. Hey guys, good morning. How are you? We're doing well, Bobby. Doing well. Um, I, Jonesy and I were just trying to break down the, the East and trying to figure out, and granted, again, Bobby, I put the caveat on 
that we're only a month into the season. There's a hell of a long way to go here. We haven't even hit the quarter pole, et cetera, et cetera. But when you think about the teams that are towards the bottom of the East, and I'm not even including, even though Detroit just beat Toronto, I'm not even including the Pistons and Magic right now. There are four or five teams in that 13 through through eight, nine, Bobby, that you could make a case for almost every one of them having playoff aspirations coming into the season. And it makes me wonder, who in the heck is going to drop out of the top six, <laughs> top eight as we go forward? Because nobody seems to be kind of really slowing down at this point. Even the Cavs continue to roll with, what, a 9-5 and five record right now. Yeah, I mean, I thought going into the year that the East had a chance to be uh, at least deeper than the West, just based on, you know, Kawhi being out in Los Angeles and Jamal Murray and uh, in Denver and certainly Zion in, in New Orleans here, and it's kind of holding true to form here. Um, and you look at, you know, you've got Milwaukee and you've got Atlanta outside of that top 10 here, and you're right. If those two teams are going to jump into the, into the top 10, who is going to come out? Um, even a team like New York, who is seven and six, I thought had a chance to be better maybe this year. I know their, their starters have not been good, but probably finished with a worse seed um, just because this East is so good. And, uh, you know, the way the Wizards have played, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Westbrook trade has turned out to be one of the great trades um, that I've seen in a long time here, just because, it's turned into, you know, five players, you know, when you, when you look at Spencer Dinwiddie and Kyle Kuzma is having a great year and Montrez Harrell, six man of the year up there with, you know, a lot of guys who are having really good years. It really has balanced that roster. You know, we'll see what happens with Chicago. You know, I think they've, um, you know, the Vucevic being out for, with COVID Patrick Williams out, they have enough depth here. Um, and then, as you mentioned, it with Cleveland, you know, they've got no Colin Sexton. Um, Laurie Markman's been out. Kevin Love's been out. Uh, they've gotten great play. I mean, I think between Evan Mobley and, uh, and Scotty Barnes, certainly the two, two players who are going to be competing for Rookie of the Year honors here. And uh, Ricky Rubio's done a really, a really nice job, um, you know, coming off that bench and giving them some, some really good veteran leadership. Uh, I kind of hypothesized and, and surmised this. It, it may be incorrect, but uh, I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Uh, it's not the first time I've been wrong. Just ask my family. Um, <laughs> the Milwaukee Bucks, I'm not, I'm not, like I said earlier, there's no referendum on them. They're a good team. They're a championship team. But a little bit of a slow start after a championship always tells me that Doc Rivers used to call it the trophy tour. You know, the, you know guys taking the trophy all over, admiring their rings. And by the way, the other teams uh, want what you have. And then I look at the Atlanta Hawks, and and you mentioned the Knicks too. All that success last year, you sometimes forget what you had to do to grind to get there. And as I said, go back down to the mount, the bottom of the mountain and climb back up again. The, uh, you know, not that Nate McMillan or Tom Thibodeau isn't aware of that, but the guys on the floor may not be in how much do you think that's a factor in what's going on with all of the, all three of those teams? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, Jeff Van Gunn, had a great line. Uh, he was talking with Zach Lowe about it basically. And it was simple. It was like, you know, winning in this league is hard. <laughs> I mean, winning is hard in this league. And I think certainly when you're Atlanta, when you're, um, you, you've got a little bit of a target on your back because you get to an Eastern conference finals and you're close to reaching an NBA finals that there's high expectations with this group. They spent, they spent over $300 million, you know, between Trey young and Capella on his extension, uh, Kevin Herter, John, uh, John Collins here, their defense 
has been really poor. Um, they had a good win against Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee is interesting just because they've been without Chris Middleton for an extended period of time. I thought they righted their ship a little bit last week with um, the win. I know Philly's been decimated with injuries in Philly and in New York, but then you know they lose a couple games. Um, Boston and, and Atlanta here. They've had no Brooke Lopez. Their bench has been their bench has been um, been really thin. Um, so yeah, I think a little bit of a hangover from the from the championship just because of some some injuries and some integrating some new pieces here and then. You mentioned it with New York. New York starters have been, and you guys have seen them a couple times. New York starters have not been good. Their bench has really bailed them out, and um, you lose a little bit of their identity from a defensive team here. And those feel-good stories that we thought last year with New York and Atlanta, these, these young up-and-coming teams, you know, you kind of hit, you kind of you hit a little bit of that mediocre patch and it's always been like, okay, you get to a five seed or a six seed, like what's next. It's really hard taking that next step into becoming a, you know, a, a top three or top four team and, and having you know, some, some uh, sustainability. Speaking with Bobby Marks from ESPN, Bobby, I, I want to jump back to the Hawks for a second here. And, and I, quite honestly, I don't even remember who said this. It might have been the guys on Inside the NBA. And, and I, I think that might have been the case when I was listening last week, but I, I, I'm, I'm brain cramping here. The, anyway, the theory or the, the hypothesis about the Hawks, I, I'd be interested to see if you agree or not. And I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but essentially Atlanta, as good as they are, and as well as they played last year, and there's nothing taken away from what they did last year, is it a case, too, where because they're a young team, got a lot of guys making you know pretty good chunk of change, they want to get theirs, and I'm talking beyond just Trey Young, they want to get theirs, and do they have to have that sort of come-to-God moment where it's like, hey, if we want to be good, we might need to take a bit of a step back individually, statistically. I might, you know, I might only get 10 shots instead of 12. I might only get you know, 16 points instead of 20 points, and you have to look at the collective unit more so rather than trying to be the man or stand out as the individual all the time. Is that is that fair with Atlanta or is that off? Yeah, no, I think it's fair. I mean, you certainly, you know, they're not going to fire Nate <laughs> like they did with Lloyd Pierce last year. You know, that was kind of the rallying cry. You know, they let Lloyd go and then Nate takes over and does a really good job. So that's not going to be coming down the pike. So what So what is it here? You know, um, as I said, you know, you had a lot of guys fighting for contracts. John Collins, uh, Trey Young, and Kevin Herter were up for extensions here. Now they, they got theirs. Capella also I mentioned. Um, so now what is it? It's, it's going to be interesting. You know, they got DeAndre Hunters out for, I think, two months here. It's almost like they're at a point where they almost had too many guys to play. So – Hunter's out now. Um, we saw Lou Williams play um, in the Milwaukee game. Um, you know, he hasn't played that much here. Um, Herter goes to the starting lineup. The line, the, I think the lineup starts to shrink a little bit. Um, you know, Gallinari's been in and out. So, um, you know, you see, you'll probably see a little bit more of a lineup that we saw probably in, in the playoffs last year. And if any indication in that Milwaukee game, then maybe things are turning around. But, as I said, like when guys get theirs, as far as from a, from a money standpoint, and you know you are not the you know that feel good story anymore, it's hard to kind of live up to that success. Hey Bobby, what uh, besides what we've talked about, you know, looking at some of the slow starts with Atlanta and Milwaukee, um, what what surprised you about the league in general, not just the East, but what's kind of jumped at you and said, ah, eh, we're we're getting, you know, we're almost at the quarter pole, and I wonder if this is going to hold up, whatever it is. What surprised you? 
Well, I mean, I think the one thing that surprised me a little bit here is that how much the officials have let these guys play. I, I mean, I love watched, um, I, and, I, and I love it too, uh, I watched Charlotte Golden State last night. I felt like I was watching Sunday Night Football. <laughs> I mean, that fourth quarter was a, like, a bloodbath. It reminded me of the, of the 90s here. So, I, I, you know, we'll see if that's going to be sustainable as far I hope I hope so as far as, you know, I'm, um, as far as letting these guys play a little bit, we've seen, you know, certainly free throws are down. Um, replay certainly has impacted it. So I think that's going to be my biggest takeaway. I'm, I'm interested in Golden State. Um, I know they're, everyone's darling here, but, you know, they, they basically, they, with an eight-game homestand, um, last night was their first loss outside of, um, outside of California here. Um, you know, they're on this road trip here. Their bench is really, really good. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of you know, back in 2016, 2017 here. Um, they've done a really nice job. You know, Jonathan Kaminga, who they, who they drafted, has played uh, pretty well the last two games. I just, I'm, I'm interested to see how, if this is sustainable and when we get Clay back, um, how does that impact this, uh, this team? But we're starting to see, you know, you guys saw Brooklyn um, last Sunday. You know, they're, I think they've won eight, eight of nine. Um, they've played really well. And Harden's, I think, has turned the corner a little bit. He, you know, certainly has struggled here. And um, I'm just thinking, like, you know, if they had Kyrie, where would this team be? I mean, they're third and fourth in offense and defensive efficiency in the last nine games. And um, will we ever see Kyrie? That's probably the big question for me. Hey Bobby, I was going to go in a different direction, uh, uh, but seeing as you just brought it up here, let's 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 stay on that for a second. Take me inside the front office. What do you think Brooklyn's thinking right now? Not knowing if, as you just said, if they're going to have him at all at any point. Do you need to address that? Do you let it slide for an entire season? How do you think Brooklyn is is looking at this and 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 kind of weighing all of the various options? Well, I think what will happen is, and, and you know, they're fortunate that they 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 haven't really suffered any major injuries. You know, Durant and Harden have been healthy, um, and they've played. You know, they haven't you know taken nights off when there's back to backs. You know, they're they've been at basically full tilt. I think it will be interesting if something happens either to their bench or you know to one of these two players where they're forced to do something with Kyrie. I don't. Yeah, there's a new. You guys have seen the. You know, there's a new mayor that's going to take over in, on January 1st, and there were some rumors that maybe the, the mandate gets lifted here. I don't think that's going to happen, and I think they're probably going to have to address it when we get closer to um, closer to the trade deadline. I just don't know if there's a team out there that would take Kyrie on, and what are you getting back for him? So they've been fortunate because Brooklyn has been relatively healthy, and they're 10 and four, and as I said, they've won eight of nine games, but. Um, you know, as long as they're winning, he's not a factor. But when you start to struggle here, they've got Golden State on Tuesday night. We'll see what happens there. Um, then he becomes, you know, part of the picture again. Bobby, let's stay with that. Uh, it's interesting that the front office made that decision to, you know, not let him be a halftime player and, and play in road games where, you know, it's not an issue. If we get to the point in the year where, you know, he, he's not traded. The things haven't really resolved themselves. Do you think about the bringing him back for some of the road games down the stretch? I mean, do, do you, is that a possibility? I mean, it would seem to me that, well, he's been basically out all year and playing nothing but, you know, pick up ball and working out. How do you jump on that moving train? But uh, stranger things have happened. Like what, what, you know, what might be the 
thought around that as the year progresses, the longer they are without him? I, I would consider it, and I think they should. Um, not right now. I think, you know, if we get to, you know, March and there's, what, 15 games left, let's say, there's a little bit of a smaller sample. And as you guys know, the, you know, the playoffs are spaced out, um, you know, certainly with road and home games here to get him back, even if he's only playing road games. And if that helps you get a number one or number two seed and, I mean, if you can, you know, with him on the road, you know, certainly would impact. Even if he's playing, you know, 20 to 25 minutes, it's better than than nothing here. Um, you know, their you know Patty Mills has done a really nice job, but I do think their their bench is a, is a little bit thin. Um, you know, certainly at the guard position here. So I think it's a little bit different than 82 games during the regular season when you're looking at maybe 10 games at the end of you know March and early April. And I think the players would welcome him back, and and certainly that would set up for. You know, a playoff run where even if you just have them, uh, you know, for the for the uh, the away games, it, it's better. It's better than nothing. Hey, Bobby, I, I'm I'm assuming that the easy answer might be Ben Simmons. Um, so so can I can I give you the caveat of saying you can't say Ben Simmons? <laughs> is there is there a player right now? I'm tired or, of talking or... about Ben Simmons. <laughs> good, good. Then I, then let's not talk about him because so are we. Is there a player or players, somebody that you would think? is more likely to be moved at some point uh, this season, or is it too early to be asking that question, not even hit the quarter pool yet? I'm going to say Damian Lillard. Hmm. I, if I was in Portland, I would seriously consider trading Damian Lillard. I think this team is vanilla at best. They are average. I don't see them getting much better. Um, I think they're going to be in that 7 to 10 range here. We'll see if Neil O'Shea can hold on to his job. He's you know, being investigated there. And if he is or if whoever does take over down the road, I think the best thing for Portland is to is to move Lillard and, and basically start over. And I know starting over is not easy in this league. And look at you know teams like Sacramento and New Orleans are you know kind of in that bottom bottom of the Western Conference here. But that would be the guy that um, – and I don't see this team getting much better. You know, I, I really don't. I mean, they're, I think they're six and eight. Um, you know, they're they're not better than you know some of the teams in front of them. That would be the guy as far as um, when we get closer to February. That what I would circle to, to kind of keep an eye on here. And I think it all depends if Lillard wants out. You know, certainly he would he could force their hands. But you know, I think what Washington has done with Beal, um, I think they're you know I think I would think he's there just based on that team is a lot better than we all thought would be. But for me, it would be you know the big name to keep an eye on would be would be Lillard. Interesting, because uh, you know everybody when you move a big name, Bobby, people always wonder what you get back. Did you get value back? And and uh, you know you talked about the deal in in Washington. How you know Tommy Shepard, uh, new a couple of new parts, uh, guys that have been around, you know championship teams. And then you bring Wes Unsell Jr., who I think is doing a terrific job. He's known as a defensive coach, um, you know, has done a good job with the defenses. And all of a sudden, you know, you look good. I, I mean, what – put yourself inside that Portland front office. What might you be looking for coming back for a guy like Damian Lillard? I mean, they certainly didn't get all-stars back in Washington, yeah. but the, the pieces fit. Yeah, it's funny. Everybody has linked him to Ben Simmons in Philadelphia. I actually would call Philadelphia, but not for Ben Simmons. I would ask for, you know, Tobias Harris and, you know, Maxie and, and Tybal. Those would be the three guys that I would want back. And it's kind of similar to what, 
you know, Washington did it with Westbrook and Bluer certainly, I think, a better player, but you basically just split that contract up. That, you know, he's making $40 million into three really good players, and that kind of gets you started as far as rebooting your roster. Okay, Bobby, you've, you've done it to me again. I was about to let you go. You bring up a point. <laughs> me too. I've got to keep you, yeah. got to keep you for at least 60 more seconds then. Sure. If, yeah. and this is, this, is just, this is just Bobby Marks, uh, you know, fantasy world perhaps, but you've been there. You've been there pressing the buttons and making the deals and involved in these conversations. If, let's just pretend, your deal was to actually happen and Philly was, was willing to listen, is there any possibility in that sort of fantasy scenario that Philadelphia could or would keep Ben Simmons and thus move him off the point guard position. Suddenly now Lillard plays the point, and you can shift Ben Simmons to the three or the four and, and somehow find a way to reconcile, knowing that he's not the point guard any longer, and now you've got Lillard and Simmons and Embiid? I don't think Ben Simmons will ever play a game in Philadelphia. Okay. With the current line, I apologize for bringing up Ben Simmons. I, I, by yeah, the way, I no, apologize I, for making you talk just, about him. No, that's, <laughs> I just don't see it. I, I, I don't. I, I don't. I think Ben Simmons has made up his mind that he will never play a game for the Philadelphia 76ers, and it doesn't matter what that organization can do to appease him; it won't work. Bobby, I, and, and you, you know, you got me going too when you talked about parts <clears throat> still on that Washington trade. Do the Lakers have an issue going forward with with all of their people there? With, I mean, what's Russ going to be like when LeBron, <clears throat> excuse me, when LeBron gets back into the lineup and Russ doesn't have his hands on the ball because they ha- they seem to have some difficulty working it out earlier. What happens there? Well, yeah, I think Russ as the closer is probably not your, <laughs> it's not the guy. So uh, yeah, I think you, he's going to have to defer and. Um, and will he defer? Um, that's the big thing. I think, you know, certainly a, a healthy LeBron makes all the world of a difference. But as you guys have seen the last couple of years, I mean, we have not seen a healthy LeBron. And I don't know if we'll ever be. And I always thought this team was always going to be a work in progress just because you've got, what, 12 new players here. And they'll probably just hang around 500 for a while. And maybe they go on a run after Jan 1 here. But I, I'm not in love with, you know, the, the, the roster. I'm not in love with, you know, and I'm sure things will still work itself out, but you know, there are some games where Russ that, you know, as you know, kind of as the main guy, it's, it's been a, it's been a major struggle there. Bobby, we kept it too long. We appreciate your patience. Thanks oh, for joining good. us and giving your insight. <laughs> we didn't even talk Raptors. <laughs> Next time. Yeah. Hey, hey, don't make me go with another question here, Bobby, or you're not getting off the line for another 10 minutes. Hey, All right. I'll thanks for the time, this. Bobby. You got a special but you do have a special player in Scotty Barnes. I will say that. He is he is fun to watch every night. He really is. He really is. And, and the right. fan base is getting a sense of that real quick. Bobby, thanks as always. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. E, thanks, Bobby. Yeah. E, can I produce the show from my, my couch? And we get Bobby <laughs> back another time to talk about Raptors? Or yeah, like exclusively show, uh, Raptors. Or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Pass the baton to Mark Boffo when he comes back from the other show he's producing and and let's get Bobby on to talk about, uh, especially as a front office guy, because we know the uproar, the outrage from all the general managers that got their credentials from watching the N- N- NCAA tournament for four or five weekends, right? And uh, yeah. figures the yeah. ra- figured the Raptors made the wrong draft pick. All the, you know, oh, yeah, I got, you, you're a GM? Yeah, 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 I got my certification. I watched the tournament for five weeks. I, I know exactly what's going on and who should be picked. 
Hey, I, I, listen, I know I'm guilty of that from time to time, too, especially when it comes to uh, the National Football League and just, you know, being that fan, Jonesy, being a, being a fan sometimes, it makes you a little, makes you a little crazy uh, no matter what sport it is. I know you're the same way. In fact, I, I want to yeah. go there when we continue. We're going to step aside for a moment, and, and I want to talk about some of the, um, well, what I deem at least as some of the ridiculousness I've heard uh, around some, not all. When I say some, it might be 2%, it might be 22%. But I've heard some rumblings in Raptor land that I want to address with you when we continue on Smith & Jones. Welcome back to Smith & Jones. All right, I said I was going to dive into some of the ridiculousness I've heard in, in Raptorland from some. Again, from some. It's not the majority. It might not, might not even be most. It's just from some. But before I get to that, Jonesy, something happened over the course of the weekend that I don't think got a ton of play, and it probably should get more. And maybe we're just waiting for the actual shoe to drop and for the news to officially come out before we truly react pro-con or otherwise. But the great Adrian Wojnarowski on Saturday, I'm going to just quickly read. I'll, I'll do my micro machines or something and try and be as fast as I can here in reading this just to make sure folks have all of the details. But Woj on Saturday, might have been late Friday, the NBA's probe into possible pre-free agency tampering centered on the sign-and-trade acquisitions of Chicago's Lonzo Ball and... Miami's Kyle Lowry appear to have reached the advanced stages, sources telling ESPN. The NBA conducted numerous interviews with team executives and player agents and has gathered electronic messaging of front office executives from the four teams, Chicago, New Orleans, Miami, and Toronto, over the past three months. And the league is set to apparently reveal its findings and any penalties in the very near future. And then Woj notes, this is the key to all this, Jonesy, the NBA instituted more stringent penalties in these cases and scenarios back in 2019, which includes raising the maximum fine for teams to $10 million and including, and including the possibility of suspending team executives, forfeiting draft picks, and even the voiding of contracts. The possibility of the contracts being voided is the least likely scenario, scenario Excuse me, if punishment is indeed rendered. That is potentially huge if the Raptors were to somehow, some way, walk away with more from the Kyle Lowry Hall if it's ultimately determined or deemed that Miami tampered and maybe has to give up a pick or two or something in return to Toronto. Yeah, um, but I'd say this. In sign-and-trade scenarios, um, how much is the team that gives up the the name, the bigger player, are they complicit in it? Like, You know, that's the thing that people wonder. Well, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it takes two to tango. Um, but it, it, it's interesting. And, and I mean, we see it all the time, Eric. Free agency starts July 1st at 12.01. 12.03 a.m., the biggest name is off the board. Oh, really? <laughs> like, what What happened there? What did I miss? And so I, it's, it's good that the NBA is looking into this stuff. But 
the bad guys are always ahead. They're never going to be able to shut this down. The tampering goes on. You know, they might they might secure the phones and electronic messaging of front office people, but the tampering goes on at the All-Star game. It goes on on golf courses. It goes on, uh, you know, at parties, at dinners, when teams are together, when Team A goes into the city of Team B, and we're in a, an era where a lot of these guys played AAU and travel ball together and they know each other and they want to play together. And I think a lot of people are upset because unlike years past where the front office is orchestrating the deals and putting super teams together, now this era of player empowerment, they're doing it. Players are right. recruiting. You know, I mean, look at look at the LA Lakers and, and you know, agents are recruiting. They're aligning their players in certain situations where they can be successful and if you happen to be in a stable where there's an agent that has two or three names that are good and want to play together i mean just look at the anthony davis thing in la this is something again we maybe get bobby marks back at some point and ask him about it anthony davis i'm done in in new orleans and del demps was basically fired for not taking the deal to move Anthony Davis to the Lakers and take all those young guys back. And then David Griffin comes in and makes a deal. And what do you know, Anthony Davis ends up on the Lakers. So I just, I just think that uh, these, these things happen away from the, the, the NBA's prying eyes. And they can talk about stopping it, but you, you can't be there to be on duty and monitor and police all of it because it happens when you're not even there. Jonesy, to me, there was no greater example. And and listen, maybe there is a greater example. We just aren't privy to it because we aren't around the other teams to the same ex- extent that we are or were around the Toronto Raptors back in 2019. There is no greater example of tampering. You can call it pro scouting all you want. It was tampering in my eyes. No greater example than Kawhi Leonard. Lawrence Frank the president of basketball operations, and Mark Hughes, now the assistant general manager of the Clippers, the two of them together were at so many Raptor games, and I'm talking, folks, didn't matter where. Didn't matter if it was in Toronto and the Raptors were in the midst of a seven-game homestand. Didn't matter if it was in Brooklyn or Memphis or Charlotte or, or Los Angeles. It didn't matter where it was. I swear to you, if they weren't either together or at the very least one of them at every single Raptor game that season, then damn, I'd say, Jonesy, there was five, ten at most that they weren't at. They, were, they, they had to have been at 75% of the Raptor games at the very least. And you can call it pro scouting. They were at so many games that they might like, – you could have – if you didn't know, you would have assumed – that they were members of the Raptors front office because they were around the team that much. And when I say around the team, it's not like they were just hiding in the corners. They were sitting on the Raptor bench sometimes, talking to Raptor coaches, talking to Raptor players, talking to us broadcasters, milling around all the time. If that's not tampering, then I don't know what the hell is. Well, and and, uh, we should have had a map of North America and every NBA city and put a push pin on the map. Oh, saw them here. Saw yeah. them here, saw them here. Um, yeah, it's it's, and and that's the kind of stuff. It's covert, but 
on the other side of the coin, when you look at it, it's blatant. It's like the old adage, what, what most likely, what you see and most likely is, comma, is. Like it, it is what it is. It is what it seems. And, and uh, there's, there's so much of it that goes on. There's so much of it that goes on. I mean, look at the whole LeBron, Wade, and Bosch thing. I remember one NBA player who was on that Olympic team in 2008 said they had it all worked out at the Olympics. It was done. And they were just right. waiting for the contracts to be. And, and how does that impact a team like Toronto where Bosch is your guy and you think you have a chance, but somebody else knew that he was going or you didn't have an idea that he was going and you get, you know, you got nothing for him. Now, mind you, revisionist history. I would not have traded Chris Bosch when the Raptors had him in his last year because at that point the team had the best record in franchise history at the All-Star break. So you're not you're not throwing that in the dumpster just because he's leaving at the end of the year. So you know some of the things you can't help but it's out there. It's out there. The recruiting, the tampering takes place with players and the NBA has zero power to stop dinners and vacations. And, you know, meetings at, at center court when team A plays team B and they come out to warm up and, you know, they shake hands and they stand there and talk for five or six minutes. That that could be it right there. You can't stop that. No, you can't. You can't. Um, all right. We've got a couple of minutes uh, left here. I, I, I said I wanted to dig into the uh, some of the rumblings I've heard. And, Jonesy, this, this goes back to what we were discussing before our, our, our commercial break a few minutes back. And I have heard from a few people, from some rumblings in the fan base, that I would love for you to squash if you could. Because I, I, I just know. I can, I can almost see the bubble above your head. I can read your mind of what you're going to say. But I have heard a couple of people. Fred Van Vliet is holding back the young Raptors. And, and the progression of Scotty Barnes and Delano Banton and Fred needs to play less or, or, or be even moved potentially because he shouldn't be playing this much and it's going to impact our long-term growth. Uh, Pascal Siakam needs to be traded because we've proven that we can win without him. And Pascal uh, is a part that, you know, he's making too much money and the team doesn't look as crisp when he's out there and they struggle with him and, and, and he needs to move on. Jonesy, again, I know you're going to be in lockstep with this, but I will just say, please, folks, stop. This team is better with both of those players and this team is 14 games into a new season, a new era that both of these players are going to be very important pieces of, whether it ends up being that they are still 1A and 1B or whether they are now the 2 and 3 options because Scotty Barnes or OG Ananobi takes off that much more. But you need good pieces around your other good pieces. You need good to great pieces around your other good to great pieces to build a true team that can be not just competitive but dangerous. And these guys can and will and should be part of that okay how much how much time do we have i don't know like two (laughs) two three minutes i'll I'll shut up you can have the rest all right let me uh let me try to consolidate this first of all you're right e you are not better without your better players your best players and if pascal and fred aren't two of the best players on the raptors then i I, you know what i'm i'm gonna go outside and get a tan like like 
no chance. You're not better without your best players. Okay, let's put that to rest. They're not holding anybody back, especially Fred. He's just basically become the leader. He knows where the young guys are and where they have to get to because he came from being an undrafted player to being an NBA champion. That doesn't happen often. He's the perfect guy to lead them. So he's not holding anybody back. And if you were to go ahead and do that, all of the armchair GMs that think they know because they've seen a championship come to Toronto and then think about the rebuild and partway into it, when things start going south, they'll be saying, we need some vets in here. We at least need some guys to support them, you know, because if you get into a losing streak and a losing cycle, it does not change. We've talked about for years, teams that go to the lottery every year, people want picks, picks, picks. And I'll, I'll get on the tank nation and, and, and flatten their wheels. Everybody wanted the tank. Remember back then, tank, get Andrew Wiggins. Well, look at Philadelphia. They did a great job of tanking, and they still have yet to be past the second round. And with all every – and now Ben Simmons is unhappy, and Joel Embiid is, is, is kind of broken down at times. It, it, winning is never a bad thing, and having good players that are trying to win, especially in the rebuild – can't be anything but beneficial i'll go back to an era gone by when the raptors had vince carter and tracy mcgrady what did they do they went out and got the likes of d brown and del curry and charles oakley and kevin willis and antonio davis good vets to support them they weren't holding anybody back you're trying to win you're trying to win so i'm not i'm not hearing any of that i'm not in the words of bernie mac oh hell no I'm not hearing the late Bernie Mac. I'm not hearing any of that. All right? So that's done with me. It's a good way to be done with this hour, Jonesy. Thanks again to Bobby Marks for joining us, folks. Again, if you like the podcast, make sure you rate and review, and you can download Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts, on Apple, Spotify, Google, or whatever platform it may be. Thanks for tuning in to Smith & Jones.